Well, if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to take them out. Or if you interact with uh, Scripture through your electronic device, as is popular these days, you can click that on. Uh, the church Wi-Fi, you can log on to that. Uh, you need a password now. It's just simply Centralia Church. And um, we're going to, can I tell you, a, can I read like the Christmas story to you this morning? Would that be okay? I've been thinking a lot this week about uh, the Christmas present. That's the title of the message. And uh, this morning, I actually want to talk to you about three presents. So we're going to start the way um, Luke tells it in his gospel. So would you, would you stand with me to honor the authority of the word of the Lord? Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary, she treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. It's the word of the Lord, and we say, thanks be to God. You can be seated. I have this nice little plate of uh, snacks up here. Thank you for whoever's responsible for that. I might just have a moment uh, eating those things. You might have to bear with me a little bit this morning. My, th my throat is a little bit uh, scratchy, but I think we can get, get through this. Uh, I had a question to, to start off. <clears throat> Do you have all of your Christmas presents wrapped yet? 
Anybody? Hey, well done. There's quite a few people that are, you know, all wrapped and ready to go. Uh, you know, I, I am not one of those people. I'm, I am not done yet. And it may be midnight before I get them done. I, I don't know. Uh, some of you in this room, I see some of the presents that you wrap, and I would put you in the category of expert wrapper, like as in gift wrapper, not like... Um, <clears throat> some people uh, are meticulous enough that if there is pattern on the paper, you will take as much time and make as many cuts as is necessary so that on every fold, the pattern lines up. Uh, that's impressive. I mean, your gifts are works of art. It's the shame that we have to open them. Some people put a lot of care into the wrapping paper. Others, the other end of the spectrum is like, just give me a gift bag and a wad of tissue paper and we'll call it good. You know, when they invented those big garbage sacks for big presents, you can just put your gift in a garbage bag and put a bow on it, you know, and call it good. That's one end. And then there's the rest of us in the middle who we just try and get, you know, the folds right, and the, the ends might be different from one end to the other, and we just put scotch tape on it, and, you know, it's all good. They're just going get, to get ripped off here in just a minute. Anyway, do, do you know uh, that the... The wrapping paper industry is like a $3.2 billion industry. We put a lot of effort into wrapping our presents. That's with a B, billion. And at the end of Christmas, when we, you know, pack, you know, take all the paper off the presents and we dispose of it, there is a 200 26,800 miles of wasted paper. That would go around the world nine times. Yeah, I read it on the internet, so it must be true. So, <clears throat> but we invest a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of effort to make our presence look nice and festive, and it does add to the, it does add to the whole holiday spirit. Well, the history of, of wrapping paper, I know this is what you wanted to come to church for this morning, but I thought I would, you know, just do my part and share this with you. People have been wrapping gifts all the way back for thousands of years, and they trace it all the way back to uh, ancient China and Japan, where they had these little ornate uh, bags made out of cloth that they would put the gift in and then just kind of fold it over, and, and that's how you would wrap a gift. Then you know, kind of that changed over time. And in the 1500s, if you were uh, the wealthy and elite and you had wallpaper, uh, a lot of gifts were wrapped in wallpaper. Well, in more, uh, you know, maybe within the history of, of our country, you know, we started wrapping uh, packages in brown paper tied up with the string. These are a few of my... No? No? Anybody? Anybody? <clears throat> Well, the other way that you wrapped presents in the history of our country was with red or white or green tissue paper. And you just kind of wrap it up. And, and if, if it was really fancy tissue paper, there might be, you know, like a holly berry or something printed on it. Well, in 1917, there was a stationery store in Kansas City that ran out of the red, green, and white tissue paper. <gasps> a crisis. 
Well, the two brothers that owned that stationery store, they came up with a quick solution. And because they specialized in stationery and envelopes, uh, fancy envelopes are kind of lined with a, with a printed paper that looks a little bit different. And, and they had some uh, of this uh, decorated lined paper in the back and so they brought out the sheets and they put it on the counter with a sign that said 10 cents a sheet and they sold out of it almost immediately. Hmm. So the next year, 1918, they're like, well, let's try this again. So they put more of these stacks of this envelope lining paper out and it all sold out. This year, they went from 10 cents to 25 cents a sheet. Whoa. Well, they figured out this was catching on, and so in 1919, they began printing uh, wrapping paper as we know it today. Now, anybody have a guess on the brother's name? Hallmark. Hallmark is right. Thank you, Hallmark. And you know what? They did invent the uh, gift wrapping shopping uh, or trash bag, so they, they were the first to market that. Anyway, so why do I tell you all of this? Well, you know, if you're playing Trivial Pursuit later on and one of those questions comes up, well, you can just thank Pastor Dave. <clears throat> I would like to put out there, I would like to propose this morning that the original wrapping on the original Christmas gift was a strip of cloth. The very first Christmas gift, the Christmas present that God gives to all of us is His Son, Jesus. And when he was born to Mary and to Joseph, the first thing that Mary did is she wrapped him up in strips of, of cloth. And, you know, there's, there's all sorts of reasons why uh, God gave us this present of his son Jesus. You know, he kind of looked in on humanity, and he had set up this system where he would be the people's God and, and they would uh, return love and, and be obedient to him. And he, he looked at us and he, he figured out that, you know what, they're not so obedient. They kind of like to do their own thing. They, you know, they get sidetracked and there's so many distractions in the world and other gods and things that they invest their time and energy with. Um, th this system is not working. The people are going astray, they're lost, and they're, they're stumbling around in, in darkness. And so he sent his son Jesus to be uh, his representation, his exact representation in the world to, to show us exactly what his love looked like and, and to extend the mercy and forgiveness that, that he wanted to extend to us. So he gives us this present, and, and our job is then and to receive it. Well, there's, there's so many different reasons why, why God gives us this present. Luke, you know, he, in the early chapters, he, he talks about uh, <clears throat> several of them. We read one of them in, in our passage in verse 10 uh, when the angel says, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And the people had heard this terminology before. They were expecting God's Messiah to come. And what they were expecting was this person to come in and, and um, you know, kind of kick out the Romans and, and restore worship in, in the temple and, and rule from uh, King David's throne. So they were expecting this person to come in with this military might and fervor and 
and make everything right. And so they knew this language of Messiah. Well, Luke, throughout his whole gospel, tells us um, in different episodes why Jesus, why God gave us the present of Jesus. In, over in, in chapter 4, when Jesus grew up and, and he started his public ministry, well, he went back to his own hometown of Nazareth, where he grew up. And he was in the synagogue one day, and, and they asked him to read from the scroll. And he asked, well, I'd like to read from Isaiah. And he opened it up, and, and these are the words that he read. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. These are all things that, that Jesus understood as part of his responsibility to, to do while he was on earth. Well, Luke doesn't just stop at chapter 4. You flip over to, to chapter 5, and there's this story. Uh, Luke and Mark both tell the story where there's these four friends, and they have a fifth friend who is lame. And they, <clears throat> they want healing for their friend, and they heard that Jesus went around healing people. And so they knew that Jesus was coming to town, and he was going to be teaching in this one certain house. And so they, they went, and they gathered up their buddy on a, on a stretcher, and they, and they carried him to this place. Well, the place was full, and there was no way for them to get this stretcher in in front of Jesus for Jesus to heal him. So they went up on the roof, and they dug through the roof, and they, they lowered their friend on the stretcher, down right in front of Jesus. And Jesus says, well, what do you want me to do for you? And, well, isn't it, isn't it obvious? He needs to be healed. But the first thing that Jesus does is he said, brother, your sins are forgiven. He saw through uh, his physical condition to the condition of his heart, and he said, I want to address that first. You need to be forgiven of your sins. And that, you know what, there were some church people in the room. There were some Pharisees there who just thought it was blasphemy that Jesus would proclaim forgiveness like that to somebody who didn't even ask for it. And Jesus said, what's more difficult, to proclaim the forgiveness of sins or to say to this man, get up and walk? At which he did, and the man left walking and leaping and praising God. Well, if you read throughout Luke you will find these different episodes and get an idea of why Jesus came to earth. And you'll, you'll, you'll get to chapter 19. And you'll read this story about a short little guy named Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax collector in the town. And nobody liked him because he extorted money. And, and he was kind of just mean and rude. And, you know, he, he got money, you know, however way that he needed to do so that he could pay the authorities. And, of course, he took a nice cut. So this was not a well-liked guy. Something's missing in his life. He heard about this person, Jesus. He heard he was coming to town. And he's like, I just need to see this. I need to see this man. I need to see this Jesus person. Well, the crowd was so thick, like a parade route. And uh, so he goes off ahead, and he climbs up this tree, and he gets into this little perch where, where he can see over the tops of everybody's head, and, and he can see Jesus coming down the parade route. And Jesus gets right to the, in front of the tree where he is, and he looks up and he says, Hey, Zacchaeus, come on down. I want to have lunch with you today. So Jesus goes and has lunch with him. And, of course, that made the church people upset again 
because Jesus was hanging around with the wrong sort of people. This is a tax. That's a sinner, Jesus. You, you shouldn't be hanging out with him. And, and we get to the very end of that episode, and, and Jesus himself says, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. He came to seek and to save those who are stumbling around in darkness, who have tried to, f- to figure out how to do it on their own and go their own way and, and just, you know, maybe some days look better than others, but in general, they're just stum- stumbling around and bumping into the walls and kicking corners of furniture in the middle of the night because it's dark. Well, that's why God gave us this present and throughout all of the Gospels, we read it as the good news because it's for all people. It's not just for uh, the religious people. It's not just people for, for people who go to church on Sunday. It's, it's not just for people who make more good decisions than bad decisions. Not people who are counted as righteous already. Jesus came to minister to everybody to call those of us who have been Christians for a long time to a better way of living, to call those who, who don't know him yet, who are stumbling around in darkness. He, he came for all of us. It doesn't matter your station in life. Uh, I like that Christmas present. That's a really good one to celebrate. I told you we were going to talk about three presents today. And uh, I'm kind of a, an English geek studied a lot of English in, in college. And um, do, you know the, do, you know the, do you know what a homonym is? Anybody know what a homonym is? Homonym is a word that is spelled the same but have different meanings. And there's, uh, there's also a homophone, which is a word that sounds the same but are spelled differently. But a homonym is, is the exact spelling but has a, a different meaning. And as we read this story in Luke, there are two other pictures of the word present that appear in the text. If you look at verse 15, when we're talking about the shepherds, I think they had a right to be terrified, don't you? I mean, an angel shows up in the sky, and then a whole host of the angels it's in this huge heavenly choir. I would be a little afraid myself. But they said, when the angels had left them, gone into heaven. So they have this, they have this announcement of God's Christmas present. They said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. See, the shepherds hear God's good news, and they act on it immediately in the present. They don't, they don't think, well, I don't know, can we, can we trust those angels? You know, he's only an infant now. Mom and dad probably need a little bit of space. Uh, he's going to grow up. We know about where he lives. You know, we'll just, yeah, we'll wait on it. You know, that's a nice present and all, but we're kind of cozy here with our sheep, and um, we'll, we'll just wait until the kid grows up a little bit. They, they, don't, they, don't, you know, kick, they don't kick that can of going and, and 
receiving this present down the road. They respond in the present, in the present tense. They go immediately. And they don't go just so they can post it on Instagram and Facebook a little bit later, like, hey, you know, here's us and the baby Jesus right here. You know, we got to see the present. They don't just count it as a nice holiday experience. When they go and they have this moment with the Christ child and they find out that everything that the angel told them was exactly true, they went away sharing it with other people, being the first witnesses of the birth of Jesus. And all the people that they told about this, Luke tells us that they were amazed. And at the end of the story, they returned to their jobs, glorifying and praising God for everything that had happened. They responded in the present moment. Well, there's another form of the word present that's in the text, and that's when we get to, when we talk about Mary in verse 19, uh, you know, she is, all of these things are, well, she's just had a baby, and she's had a baby in, you know, kind of in a stable barn cave-like structure. Can't imagine it's the greatest accommodations, but it is what it is, and, and then to have some ragtag group of shepherds come in who knew exactly what was happening and what was going on, that was maybe just a little bit overwhelming. And her response was this, verse 19, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondered them in her heart. Hmm. She was present in the moment. You know how you can be somewhere sometime but not really be there? Like you can be at church and you can be asleep, so are you, are you really there? Uh, you know, you can be in your living room and there can be conversation all around you, but you have no idea what people are saying. There's a shadow of you that's there, but you aren't really present in the moment. Your kids come and talk to you and, and maybe you're more engaged with what's going on on your device or your book or your newspaper that it's hard for you to, to put that down and turn and be fully engaged. There's a present that means that we are in the moment. Mary gathered all these things up and she pondered them in her heart. She wrote all of these things on her soul so that they would be with her. She was there in the present in, and she was present herself in that moment. And so what I was thinking about was that this story that we read today uh, begs us to answer the question, what are we going to do with the present that God gives us right now in this very moment? Or if you want to use all three forms of that word present, it sounds like this. Will you be fully present to receive the present in the present moment? You got that? That's a good one to write down and think about that one. It's will you be fully present to receive the present in the present moment? Well, over the past couple weeks, several Sundays here in, in, our, in the life of our congregation, we've been moving through a series called From Humbug to Hope. And it's kind of a, a takeoff on Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. And that story is probably the most well-known Christmas story outside of the one that we read uh, a little bit earlier. And, of course, that story is about uh, a guy named 
Ebenezer Scrooge, cold, cruel, heartless, miserly, reclusive kind of a guy. He, uh, he's stuck in the past, and he's living out the consequences of choices that he's made throughout his whole life. He's not a happy guy. He doesn't engage with anybody around him. The only thing that brings him joy in life is, you know, maybe flipping his coins around and, and seeing how his bank account grows. Doesn't want anything to do with helping those in need around him. Well, Marley, his long-dead partner, the ghost of his long-dead partner, comes to visit him one night and, and says, uh, you're going to be visited by uh, three spirits. Uh, the ghost of Christmas past, present, and uh, yet to come. Because you, Scrooge, have the opportunity to turn your life around. You have the opportunity to change your direction and, and make decisions in a different way. I don't have the luxury of doing that anymore. The, the chains that I carry in my afterlife now are, are chains that I forged link by link, decision by decision in my life. And you've lived longer than I have, and the chains that you'll be carrying are way longer than mine. And so Scrooge has the, this opportunity, and he's visited by the ghost of Christmas past, and then we get to the, the ghost of Christmas present, who takes him on a series of um, episodes that he shows him, of things that are happening now, in the present moment. And so the first scene that, that uh, the ghost of Christmas present takes Scrooge to is to Bob Cratchit's house. And they enter into this household, and, and Bob Cratchit, if, if you don't know the story, is the a, is a guy that works for Scrooge, who Scrooge pays him next to nothing. But it's a job, and it puts a roof over their head, a little, a little warmth in their house, and a little bit of food on the table. And they peer into this poor family's house, and it's a picture of vibrancy of life and joy and happiness. That even, dis, even despite all of the, the hard circumstances that they were living through, they were finding a way to enjoy one another's presence and make the best of each and every moment. Well, Tiny Tim, their, their youngest child, um, has a disease, and he hobbles around on a crutch, and Scrooge asks a question about Tiny Tim, will, will he be okay? And the ghost of Christmas present says, if there's no intervention, then I see an empty chair around this table next year. That got Scrooge's attention. Well, then they, they float away and they enter into a party scene at Scrooge's nephew Fred's home. And, and Fred had visited Scrooge earlier in the day and invited him to this Christmas party. Hey, Scrooge, uncle, why don't you come dine with us, my family and, and my friends? It'll be a wonderful time. And Scrooge, you know, nah, bah, humbug, no. So they visit this party, and they're playing this old version of charades, and somebody is acting out Uncle Scrooge, you know, and kind of a, they're making fun of him, and he sees this happening. And then Fred says, you know, ah, I really feel sorry for this guy. He's got all this wealth, and he doesn't use it for anything. He doesn't even, he doesn't even use any of it and spend it on himself. He's just hoarding it. He has no joy in life, and he's not blessing anybody else with what he has been blessed with. I really feel sorry for him. Well, then they, they leave that episode, and, and they visit this other family who is homeless, and they're living under a bridge. And 
there's mom and dad, a couple kids huddled around a you know a little makeshift fire, and, and they're trying to they're trying to stay warm. And Scrooge says, "Hey, well, don't they don't don't they have any resource? Don't they have any refuge?" And and the ghost reminds Scrooge of some words that he had spoken earlier about workhouses. And, you know, they should be able to find some sort of resource. And, and then there's this, this scene where the ghost of Christmas present, he's wearing this long robe, and he, he parts the robe, and there's two kids, ignorance and want, hideous, malnourished creatures, and, and Scrooge asks the question, are those, are those your kids? And the ghost says, no, they're humanities. They're, they're your responsibility. And through these episodes, Scrooge gets this picture. He, he's, it's finally sinking in that he's missing the present moment. He's stuck in the past, and he can't, he can't move beyond that. And so it's closed him off to everything that's going on around him in the present He was squandering opportunities that were right in front of him to enter into life with people that he knew. And he saw a picture of how he was forming his own chain link by link by link. He has the opportunity to change. That's why I love this story, because A, a Christmas Carol is really a metaphor for the gospel of, of Jesus. Scrooge finds that he can repent and he can change his former ways and he still has time to turn his life around. And he does so in, in the matter of, of one evening. And when he wakes up in the morning, he throws open the shutters and, and he, he just breathes in a breath of, of new life. And it's like uh, his total countenance changes. His total outlook on life is changed in a moment. And joy just invades his heart. And he begins living, and he begins interacting with other people, and he helps Tiny Tim, and he, and he, uh, he blesses people wherever he can. And, and Dickens ends the story by saying, if anybody knew how to celebrate Christmas, it was Ebenezer Scrooge. And everything that he promised to do, he did even more. And I'm, a, I'm kind of a sucker for... Christmas nostalgia. How about you? I, I like thinking about Christmas's past, fun we've had, cherished moments. I remember growing up, uh, you know, we had, back in those days, there was the, you know, the vinyl records, and we had the hi-fi in the house, and we had just a few Christmas records, and one of them was um, Johnny Mathis, and so Silver Bells, you know, with Johnny Mathis. There's, that doesn't get much better than that, listening to that. You know, sitting by the Christmas tree with the, okay, some of you are going to be, think I'm a blasphemer here, but with the multicolored lights on the tree, um, uh, you know, it wasn't not just the simple white. I know it looks nice, but multicolored is really where it's at, folks. And, you know, and then, you know, baking Christmas cookies, you know, sugar cookies and ginger cookies, and then, you know, spending the time to decorate them, and, you know, going out shopping to the dime stores, you know, the, the old ones, I don't even think they're around anymore, Woolworths and Ben Franklin, and they're all decorated festively, and the light snow falling, I love moments like that. Sometimes, in the present, when life gets challenging, 
we have a tendency to look for moments in our past that we want to bring into the future or into the present. And so sometimes we get stuck trying to live out moments from the past in the present. And it, you can't do that because the past, the past isn't, has gone by. You, you can't live there anymore, and, and the future isn't yet, and so all we really have is the present. Now, I think it's right and appropriate to pass on traditions and to try and, and do things with our families and our friends that, that have brought us joy throughout the years. But when we try and live out the past to make the present a little bit different, that's where we run into some problems. God wants us to focus on this present moment. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. God offers us the gift of his mercy and forgiveness without exclusion. God offers us healing from our past and hope for our future. We can have new life where, where we might feel as just dead and decaying. Ebenezer Scrooge was famous for saying what? Bah, humbug. We all have humbug moments, right? Mine around this time of the year usually have to do with the Christmas lights, but that's another story. But humbug moments are things that, that eat away at us. You know, uh, too much of a workload, uh, a, a relationship that just is strained, a pink slip, you know, we got to cut back, and, you know, we're not, we're not sure what your job looks like anymore. It may be financial nature. It may be that you're in the... Uh, Maybe you're sitting in the darkness of, of debt or depression or disease or death. Those are all humbug moments. And God says, I can deal with every single one of those things. I gave you this gift of my son Jesus to come in and to invade your heart with, with his love and, and with my light to chase away any darkness that you might be experiencing. I don't know, you might... You might not be as uh, cold and crabby as Scrooge, but you may be here this morning feeling like you're trapped in some kind of darkness. And I just want to tell you that God has a gift for you, and it's His Son, Jesus. And, you know, when we read in the gospel, we know that sometimes we get gifts we don't like, you know, they're, they're wrapped in some sort of packaging and totally disguised what the present is. Well, when God gave his son Jesus to the people, he wasn't wrapped in the packaging that they were expecting. They were expecting a Messiah that was a conquering hero. And instead, they got a picture of a suffering servant who reached out to everybody, not just the elite. He didn't kick out the people who were occupying the palace and set up a new regime. No, he started in a different place, grassroots, if you will, going out and reaching one person at a time, freely proclaiming forgiveness, going around, giving sight to the blind, and extending healing to those who needed, and a 
comforting touch of mercy to those who needed it. We spin the story forward, and in a month or so, when we begin our Lent journey towards Easter, we'll talk more about how we rejected this gift that God gave us. And we ended up killing Jesus. We nailed him to a cross, but that wasn't, that's not the last word on Jesus. God raised him from the dead. He overcame, he conquered sin and death so that we might be able to be forgiven. And so in Jesus, God's gift to us, we can find that forgiveness and mercy. Now, some of you are here and you're saying, you know, that just sounds too good to be true. And all I know, and I went to seminary and they don't have fancy classes for how to answer that question. All I know is to keep pointing you back to this story. To tell the story and let it do the work and get out of the way. I don't have to add anything to this story or, or change it or make it cute and fancy. This is the story that God has given us of the present that is for you, for me. I know that I read in Scripture that God loves you immensely. It doesn't matter what you've done. There's nothing, there's nothing in your past that scares God away. There's nothing in your past that keeps you from experiencing the grace and forgiveness that God has for you. There's no boundary line on the forgiveness of God. Uh, the other question I get asked once in a while is, Dave, do you, do you honestly, do you actually believe all of this? And every single time I'm asked that question, emphatically, yes. I know the love of God. I know how his love has reached into my own life and changed it, given me new life in areas that were dead and decaying. An ability to forgive where it's been hard to forgive. I can give you my own story, and so yes, I believe it, and I'm kind of staking my life on it. And so I just lay that out for you this morning, that think about the present, the Christmas present. Think about the present tense. What am I going to do in this moment with the gift that God has given me? And I would encourage you to be present in this place, fully engaged with those around you, with your family, with your friends, with your church family. Because that's at the end of the day, that's what it's all about, is receiving this gift that God gives us.